we've gathered in worship on this worldwide communion peacemaking day, celebrating our missionary in Malawi. And I would also like to lift up personally how grateful I am to have Lee and Diane Turner with us in our worship as well. We are all one in Jesus Christ, and that is exactly what this day means. As opposed to my mentor in ministry, who, when asked what he most looked forward to in retirement, replied, not ever having to preach another worldwide communion Sunday. He was a realist, knowing that when it comes to worldwide peace, we are still searching for it, but I'm a little less skeptical than he is and think that communion breaks out all the time in places that we might be surprised at. This morning's text is no exception. It comes to us from the 11th book, or excuse me, chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 9. It is an iconic passage. We've all heard of this story if we don't even know it closely. It's the Tower of Babel or Babel or Babel or Babel or Babel, which is in itself, in its onomatopoeia way, an ironic twist on the fact that we have trouble communicating. We can't even pronounce the name of it as a group. The text begins, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come on, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built And the Lord said, look, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do from now on will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Normal everyday communication is hard enough when we speak the same language, let alone a foreign one. Ironically, it seems even harder to communicate with those that we were closest to, our most intimate loved ones. I overheard a married couple recently in a bit of a spat. He apparently had 
been a great husband that weekend, had helped out doing chores, uh, had been attentive to his wife and his children, and, and on Monday she said to him, I just want you to know how much I really appreciate your spending time with us and the family at home and all of the chores that you did. He heard that in his own interpretive way as her saying, you work too hard and you play too much golf and you're never around. She was trying to show him gratitude, but what he heard was a guilt trip. With all the ways that we hear and misunderstand and misinterpret our loved ones, it's amazing we communicate at all. The best solution, I think, is not to jump to conclusions about somewhat what someone is saying to us, but to ask questions and show curiosity to try to help translate what they are saying by saying back to them what you have heard. Is this what you're saying? And in that translation, you might get it close. Otherwise, things get lost in translation. Now compound this with speaking a different language in a foreign country, and things can go south fast. Summer, a year ago this past summer, Anita and I were on sabbatical traveling through France. We flew into Nice. I decided, we decided to rent a car. We got one of those small little Italian jobs that was diesel fuel, big enough barely for us, much less our luggage, but we were able to fit in. We made our way up to Vence and Provence uh, uh, area uh, and enjoyed it for five days and then over to the west side, more west uh, to Arles. Arles is how they say it in France. You don't say Arles, it's Arles. Speaking of translation, the car had amazing gas mileage and it occurred during this trip that I would only have to fill it up at the end one time, which we planned to do the night before we turned it in. And so that was what we did. Coming back into Arles one evening, we noticed a filling station that had one pump in it. And uh, Anita was driving and pulled over by the pump. I pulled out my credit card. I swiped it. It had a swipe on it. Uh, and I, I then looked at the pump to try to figure out which one was diesel. It was in French. And as soon as uh, I did that, I noticed that a car pulled up right behind us, uh, waiting to get in line. It was a one-pump station, uh, which made me a little bit anxious. So uh, as I'm looking at these pumps, uh, I see that there are three there with green, green plastic over the handles. And I remembered, oh, yeah, in the States, green is for diesel, except you only have one diesel uh, and, and three regular gas pumps. Why does this have three diesel and one regular gas pump? And that was in blue. It, well, if it's not diesel, then the, the hosel of the pump won't fit into the diesel tank, I'm told, and so I'll know. So I, I, I punched the button for the, the cheapest uh, gas one per liter, whatever that is, uh, put the, pulled it up and stuck it in the tank and began to pump. It took me about four liters of gas a little more than a gallon I since discovered, to figure out I was putting regular gas into a diesel tank. I completely freaked out. 
oh my gosh, we have just bought a car. <laughs> they don't have insurance for stupid people like me, and we're going to walk away with a price tag. What am I going to do now? The guy behind me by this time was getting a little antsy. Oh, I know. I'll pull the blue pump out and pump the rest of the tank with diesel, and hopefully that will uh, dilute the gas part enough so that the car will be fine. So I pulled the pump out, uh, I put it in, pressed the lever, nothing happens. You can't pump with two different pumps on one credit card. Swipe. Pull my credit card out, swiped it again, nothing happened. By this time, I'm really anxious. The guy behind me is more anxious than I am, uh, and I don't know what to do. So I see a woman sitting behind the register in this little filling station building, and I go in and ask her help come to the door and I push it and it's locked. Push it again, it's locked. Move to the side, push that one, it's locked. She's looking at me saying, come on in, come on in. And I'm thinking, it's locked, it's locked. I look back at Anita and she's doing, come back, come back. I run back to the car, look into the windshield with this, ah, look on my face. She starts laughing. I turn back around when I see the woman come to the door and open it. She's shaking her head. I reach the door, and she points to the sign on the door that says, Tari, pull. <laughs> I couldn't read French. In my southern dialect, I said, Merci, <laughs> hoping that she would cut me some slack. And she smiled, uh, parlez-vous anglais? Oui, petit, she said. So, like any tourist, I decided not being able to speak the language, I would speak my language only louder. <laughs> I need to put diesel fuel in my car and the pump's not working. <laughs> she got that much. She punched a button, sent me back out. I go, put the uh, pump up into the car and I start pumping. By that time, the guy behind me is furious. It took 13 gallons, I figured out. Oh, that should be enough to dilute the gas. Put it back in, got in the car, and said to Anita, let's get out of here now. By this time, she's laughing hysterically, and I said, what are you laughing at? What was that about? I put the wrong gas in the tank. I had to put diesel fuel on top of it. Let's get out of here. She goes, well, is the car going to run? I said, I have no idea. It may just blow up. But let's go. The car actually ran. It ran back to the hotel, and it ran the next morning back to the rental agency where I turned it in. It was apparently fine. I was not. I was a complete mess having to deal with this. I laughed later looking back, but at the time, I needed a scapegoat, and so I, I blamed the language. I thought, why in the world don't we all speak English like every other person should be speaking? That should be our universal language. Otherwise, we're never going to get along. Husbands and wives, <clears throat> parents and teenagers, 
conservatives and liberals all speak English in this country and we don't get along, so what in the world was I thinking? Maybe something else is missing. It's not just that we don't speak the same language. Maybe something else is missing. Maybe it's not a language problem as much as it is a human problem. We end up afraid of diversity and other human beings because we think they should think and be like we are and speak the same language both literally and metaphorically. And when they don't, it's their problem. A close look at this story of the Tower of Babel tells the tale. Apparently, God and his people were having miscommunication problems After Noah and the flood, God was clear to Noah and the sons, go out into the world, multiply, and spread around. Twice God said that to Noah and his sons. It's the same thing God said to Adam and Eve when they were first created. Be fruitful and multiply, covering the face of the earth. Apparently the people had another idea. Often this Tower of Babel story is held up as, you know, an example of human pride and hubris and arrogance. They're going to build a tower to the heavens? Oh, yeah, like Jack and the Beanstalk, get up as far as God. This is what made God angry, apparently, their arrogance and pride. So God comes down and scatters them, breaking apart their city uh, like a broken rack of pool balls. However, I think that's the mistranslation of this text. I don't think it's pride and arrogance that congregates everyone together in this city, for that was their point. Let's all come together in one city and build a tower to the heavens so that we will not be scattered across the face of the earth. There's safety in numbers. They were afraid since it was God's will that humans should be scattered abroad, migrating across all the earth. All they knew was to congregate together like a bunch of bait fish being attacked by sharks. So they decided to build a fortress, the tower. And God and his minions, somebody with God in this story, came down. I love the irony of this. They're going to build a tower to the heavens And it is God, in fact, who has to come down to their level. I think the the building couldn't have been more than five stories. God comes down, confuses their language, and scatters them across the face of the earth like God intended to begin with. God's will be done, we pray, and it was. And what often looks like divine punishment ends up actually being God working God's purpose out. Not because God wanted to for God's sake, but because God wanted to for our sake. Apparently being scattered and diverse and speaking different languages with different customs is a good thing in the eyes of God. Knowing our propensity for pride and our need for ego satisfaction our hubris and wanting to make a name for ourselves and the underlying fear that drives us to try and make everyone else in our image, even God, 
God knew that if the whole human race were gathered together in one place with one language that we would soon self-destruct. Like when a whole family comes for Thanksgiving and stays one day too long. It's Armageddon in the Smith household. God knows we are not supposed to be huddled and cloistered together alike and in the same place, literally, physically, metaphorically, religiously, politically, or any other way. Like a dysfunctional family that will not let anyone be different in it, that is unhealthy. God knows that diversity and separation are sometimes a blessing. Look at nature How many different kinds of birds are there? How many different kinds of feather on each bird? How many different kinds of fish are there? How many different kinds of trees are there? And each tree different than any other tree, and each leaf on each tree different. It's the novelty of the difference that makes the difference. It's what makes our country great in its vision and and I think in its reality. We honor and cherish the differences among us, the e pluribus unum, out of many, one. On this worldwide communion Sunday, what holds us together, I think, is the only real and true thing we hold in common, and it is a vision and a faith in someone and in something that only itself can hold the sinner together. And that someone and something we claim to be Jesus Christ. For Christians, we are called the body of Christ, each with different parts, each with our own unique selves and differences. We are like a chorus, each member with a different voice, a different timbre, a different range, a different volume, all working together in this symphony, this amazing musical symphony that is the music which is being translated. Today we have African music, classical music, uh, gospel music, Presbyterian music, just as four, four examples of differences, and it brings the whole texture of the service to a new place. Worldwide Communion Sunday is about people all over the world, different people all over the world worshiping Christ in a different language with different perspectives and different worship styles, yet because Christ is the center of all this, all the spokes that go out stay connected. That's why so powerful communion is. Christ on this table, Christ on this table, but Christ also in us, in us, who are sent and scattered out into the world to be the presence of Christ in the world, speaking the only universal language that there is besides math. And that is unconditional love. It is the one thing that does not get lost in translation. Amen.